I mean, there's, there's a lot of names, you know, just to throw out there. But I think that talking about the tour, Britain, Julian Alphalete, yeah, uh, definitely. A, 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 you know, I, I put him on my short list. Um, and Richie Port, uh, <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, he's preparing for the time trial. He's preparing for the road race. I, he can prepare for whatever he wants. He's, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see Port doing much of anything. I'll. I would be surprised if Port cracks top seven in the time trial. In the time trial. In the time trial. The, the, the road race, he's just never demonstrated himself to be a one-day rider. Today is Wednesday, September 12th, 2018. I'm your host, Chris Harnish. Joining me on the podcast is my unassailable co-host, Hanak Getz. How you doing, Hanak? Good, good. How you doing? Good to be here. Doing good. Uh, now, being September, uh, it's hurricane season, which we all know because we've been watching the news. But more importantly for cycling fans, it is cyclocross season. Uh, so with the season already kicked off, we thought we'd launch our own little party and invite not only one of America's top cross talents with a silver medal at the U.S. Nationals last year, as well as silver at the U23 World Championships and double second places uh, at last weekend's Rochester Cyclocross, uh, we wanted to bring on a really um, innovative, I think, uh, and young, uh, uh, cross rider. And so please welcome Ellen Noble. How you doing, Ellen? Hi, I'm well. How are you? Doing well. Good, good. Uh, now admittedly, uh, I know very little about your background in cycling. I know kind of more contemporary, like, like your accomplishments of recent, uh, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into cycling? You know, you know kind of who is Ellen Noble? Oh, that's such a big question. Um, yeah, I mean, you nailed the, the recent stuff, um, but I guess before, before those numerous second places that you listed, (laughs) um, I, yeah, I've, I've always been an athlete. I grew up in sports, grew up cycling with my parents, uh, and kind of just doing everything, everything really. Um, I grew up racing bikes, running, snowboarding, skiing, hockey, wrestling, they say running, um, snowshoeing, anything, like literally anything outside with my parents. Um, we used, we raced sled dogs for a little while. I did Canic cross, which is running with sled dogs. I've done all of it. Um, and then kind of, as I got into high school, I started to narrow my focuses just a little bit. Um, and I felt like I was going to have to make a decision soon, but I didn't really want to. And then um, that was like growing up, I always, I always did mountain bike racing. And then it wasn't until I found the sport of cyclocross that I felt like my decision kind of was made, not made for me, but the decision became so clear. Um, so I, I transitioned out of hockey and running that I was doing at the time and just started focusing exclusively on cycling. And, um, I think it was a year after I stopped playing other sports that I won my first national title 
Um, so yeah, that's my like athletic career in a nutshell, but I've always been like a very passionate person and very, um, yeah, I've always loved like making connections with other people. So that's part of why I love cycling is it's a very social sport. Um, so even though it's not really a team sport, you still get to interact and meet meet people and you get to do podcasts and you get to do meet and greets and all these really fun things to get to interact with people and spread your message. Um, and I'm a recent graduate of UMass Amherst where I graduated with a degree in public health. Um, so that's like another way that I hope to yeah, use my desire, uh, to, I guess, uh, work with people and impact people's lives positively. Uh, so that's how I, that's how I hope to continue that mission, uh, after I retire from cycling. Wow. Uh, that's a lot now. <laughs> it's got me, you know, it's really got me thinking about lots and lots of questions. Um, but Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I, 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 you know, I love it in, in, uh, you know, from the, I, I think the coaching side of things and, and, you know, the training side of things, the thing that really intrigues me and, 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 uh, and I actually, I had a quick question. When, when did you make that, that, that kind of that specialization transition? Like, like what age? Uh, early high school. Okay. Um, so I think freshman year, it, it feels like so long ago now, even though it wasn't, um, I think freshman year I was doing three sports at once and that ended up becoming kind of an issue, like a big issue, like with overtraining. Yeah. So I was doing varsity running, varsity hockey, and elite cyclocross. Um, so I think it was that next year that I started transitioning out of the sport, like out of the other sports. I think I was just doing hockey and cycling. And then, yeah, by junior year, it was uh, all cycling all the time. See, and that's, um, you, know, you know, I've had this conversation a, a, a few different times with, 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 with parents and and kids who are engaged in sports and there certainly is a limit about getting kids involved in sports and having lots of different sports. Um, but it, you know, my, my concern is always, you know, specializing early in mm. your broad background in different, I, I mean, I mean, sports that really don't even go together, I think yeah. really highlights, um, just overall athleticism. And, and I think that, that that's one thing that's missing, um, particularly in the U.S. There's just a lot of specialization. So I, I just I, I find that really interesting. And, and, and I love the fact that you, you played hockey and, and now you're in cycling. Yeah. And um, do you ever use the hockey skills at, at say, like the, 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 the beginning of the cross races? Is that coming so in? They're probably coming <laughs> handy and, you know, coming into corners, right? Yeah, it's been, it's funny. I've always joked, like, um, people will say that I'm aggressive in like crits or yeah, even in cross, not, not as much as in criteriums, but I'm like, well, like, don't put a former hockey player, like don't put him up against the boards. Like I still have that like kind of natural reaction to like, even if it's not even like all, I like try not to push people. I try to like stay out of the way, but it's like, if someone leans on me, I have a pretty good bet of who's going to, of who's going to give first. Like I'm still like a very solid, like solid balanced person. So like, that's how it was in hockey. Like you'd be like pushing on each other and like, and be able, like being able to brace on like, like, um, steadying yourself from the hips. So I still have that ability. And so, yeah, it's kind of funny. People will like, people will like be swerving all over and like bumping into your bars and stuff in races. And I'm like, I'm still pretty solid even after, yeah, like six years of not playing. I'm still like, yeah, I don't, yeah, don't test a former uh, <laughs> defensive awesome. hockey player. <laughs> so, uh, so actually, what's worse, getting checked? Was the stability? Yeah, yeah. I still so, have that. 
So, so what's worse, getting checked or crashing? Oh, crashing, no doubt. Because okay. with hockey, like you have all the pads, and yeah. uh, you do it all the time. Like we, we usually don't practice crashing in training. <laughs> yeah. like, Hopefully not. <laughs> really not on the road. Uh, but yeah, in hockey, it's like that was like a part of the drill. It was like just getting laid out <laughs> like every day, right. <laughs> multiple times a day. So, um. So- so you just come off a weekend of racing. Um, what does what your uh, schedule look like this year as far as cross? Like, 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 like are you going to be based largely in the U.S. or, or are you going to uh, maybe do more than just kind of the, the, the occasional European race? What's that looking like? It's actually – this season This season actually has a pretty cool layout. Um, it's like – there's. it's almost like a Venn diagram where it's like we have September, October on one side – and we have November in the middle and then uh, December and January on the other side. So it's like all of September and October are going to be spent in the U.S. Doing the, uh, doing the World Cups and like the first kind of like big C1s that we have. And then November is a little bit of domestic racing and then uh, two European World Cups. And then I'll come home and race U.S. Nationals in early December and then over to Europe for the rest of the year. So it's, um, it's a pretty good balance, and it's the schedule that I'm actually, I think, I'm most excited about thus far. I did a really big European block last year, but I have good feelings about, um, yeah, about how this year is going to go with the European block and um, kind of what's to come with Trek Factory. So does, does going over to, to Europe, I guess, in the end of uh, December, when, does that help you build up for Worlds? Is that, is that kind of your goal for, for this uh your end goal for this cross season or is it, or I know you mentioned about, you know, Trek factory racing. What, how does that tie into, to, uh, to racing in Europe? Yeah, it's, um, so we have three or four world cups during that December, January block, as well as the world championships. So for me, it's, I don't know, like I never try to put all of my eggs in one basket with any particular race. So I want to focus on doing well at the C1s at our championships at the world cups and world champs. So it's like, there's a lot of events that I want to focus on having good rides at. Um, but yeah, being over in Europe kind of just elevates. Yeah. Like elevates you. Um, like the right. racing is harder. There are uh, more athletes. The courses are more challenging. Um, there's usually more money as well. Not always, but sometimes it can be like a good financial thing. Um, for some, like that can be like a motivator for some people. Right. Because like, you can race more often. Um, so, yeah, there's so many different reasons. But I've always wanted to be a good a good cyclocross racer, not just a good American racer. So in order to do that, you have to be willing to adapt and go over to Europe and kind of buckle down for a couple of dark, sad months. <laughs> <laughs> you have to race with the best to be the best, I guess, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how does that – is that also a play on just Trek 1 exposure, more exposure in – in, in Europe, or uh, is that is that part of part of it? Um, I can't I they? can't speak for I can't speak for the brand and what they want. Um, but I know that like I think Trek, you can see by the athletes that they support have have a pretty good balance of American versus international support. Um, so I I had a, a very big say in the races that I was doing this year, um, and so regardless of the, I guess what I will say is the, regardless of the brand that I rode for this season, this is a schedule that I would have proposed. Right. Right. Yeah. I, 
I, I can't speak for Trek either. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that, uh, you, you know, for particularly cyclocross, I, I think it's nice and I think it is indicative of some sponsors who recognize um, what's most valuable for the athlete versus what's most valuable for the brand. Now, now Trek, being Trek, a, a bike company, I think that they benefit on both ends. And I think that, mm -hmm. that for a lot of U.S. riders, they're stuck because the title sponsor doesn't really benefit from going to Europe and it's expensive. And, and so I think that, that it, it is good for a sponsor to say, hey, you know what? We do care about brand exposure in the States, but also we're, we're supporting these athletes and, and we want to get them to, to achieve their best. So um, yeah, I imagine it's a balancing act. Yeah, I think you, you see that a lot with smaller brands. Um, like, I know that this is definitely the case with a lot of European companies as well. Is like, it's just, there's no value in them sending riders over to do any American races. Even if, even if there is value in doing those races, there just isn't value for the brand, unfortunately. Um, and so, like, you, it, you don't want it to be the case, but it is, um, especially for these smaller brands. Like, there's just not quite enough money in cycling to be able to be like, yeah, we'll just do it anyway. Um, so hopefully that changes as like the sport continues to globalize, but as it stands right now. Yeah. Um, I think only you're seeing like that international presence amongst the bigger international brands. Yeah. I was curious that they're, they're just, I mean, there's a lot of like, uh, um, like the Belgium, uh, uh racers that come here and come here in the early part of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, do they come, on their own dime, or do their teams pay for it? I guess they come to get, like, UCI, easy, easy picking UCI points. Yeah, um, yeah, for riders that are, um, that are, like, kind of promising, but may have struggled to um, get to the front of these races early on, like, uh, in their careers, they'll come over here and, as you said, kind of, like, poach points. Um, it's hard to say. It's actually, it's completely possible that they're paying for themselves to go. I mean, right. it, each rider has a different relationship with their team, but, um, it, it hasn't, it's not unheard of to, um, for riders to pay their own way to go over just as American riders would pay their own way to go over and do all the cremesses in Belgium in, uh, in the summer. So, um, certain teams, yeah, that just don't like that don't see the vision or just don't, don't see the value, um, would be like, yeah, we'll gladly let you go, but you're going to have to pay for it yourself. Um, but honestly, like, especially, you know, if you, someone's like, uh, like we both, both men's or, uh, however you pronounce his name. Um, came over here a couple years ago and won like all of the early races. It's like, so at that point, you know, you're winning 400, 500, a thousand dollars a race. Um, you'll pay, you'll pay for your ticket. Pay no for your trip, right. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Cool. So, uh, I've got a question, uh, because you mentioned that, that, that you've graduated college and I, I actually have a colleague, um, who has, uh, she's, she's been part of the, the Trek women's program. Um, oh, yeah. she was, uh, uh, I, I think she got second at collegiate nationals in mountain biking. Oh, cool. Um, and, and so she's one of my colleagues in the department and, uh, she, she had a question, uh, how do you balance school or how did you balance school and being a professional racer? Because I know a lot of aspiring bike racers and, and I, I tend to see this more in males now, 
Um, but it's like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to skip college and I, uh, I'm going to focus on bike racing. And, and, and I, I always found being a, a college student and a bike racer really helped me. You know, it helped me focus. Yeah. How did you balance that? Um, well, a couple of things. It's funny. I get asked this question all the time and I feel like I should have a good answer by now, like, like a, a solid, like pre-made answer, but I don't. Um, I think like one thing that's important. So for two years I did like the domestic racing. Well, sorry. First, my freshman year of college, I did like just domestic UCI races. And then sophomore year of college, I started traveling for the world cups. So I did two trips, uh, three trips over two semesters. And at that point I had missed so much school and I was like struggling so severely and I wasn't even doing all the races that I wanted to. So at that point I actually decided to transfer and go to school online so I was still taking like a normal credit load. I think I was taking like 12 credits a semester, um, but I was online. So I was able to do it from anywhere. So like that is kind of, that was a sacrifice that I made, but it was definitely an advantage in getting it done. Um, I went to school year round, but yeah, I was able to do it from anywhere. So that's like, that's a big thing that I do want to preface with. It's not like there are people who have done it, but yeah, I wasn't going to school I wasn't going to a school that didn't care about cycling and getting it all done effortlessly, like without, without some sort of, um, some sort of change, if you will. So with, with that in mind though, like I was trying to do like the highest level of travel and also getting my degree without going to a school that was like willing to make accommodations. Like I know certain people go to certain schools, whether they're cycling schools or like schools that are very heavily involved in, um, the Olympics or something like that. Um, like UMass just like, they were a fantastic school, but like they weren't willing to like make any accommodations for me. So with all that in mind, I, uh, uh, I just really wanted it. I think that was the biggest thing. And I think like, especially if you're, if you're not trying to do like the world cup schedule, <laughs> uh, and you're trying to do like domestic UCI races, I think it really just comes down to planning. Like I've, um, I try to be very like, very organized about like, you know, kind of the work that I have to do and be realistic with the timing. And my biggest thing, like my biggest tip has always been, um, I had read a study that said that brain capacity, um, or like, yeah, your ability to remember things decreases drastically after 9 PM. So I was like, okay, that's enough for me. Never studying after 9 PM again. <laughs> so that was like, that was my deadline. Hey, that was my you, deadline. Yeah. And, and, you know, I always tell students that, uh, I never missed a night's sleep before an exam, especially a final no exam. You know, I, I I'm like, look at, I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I didn't cram. Um, yeah. but no, I'd rather wake up at six and study for an hour and a half before an 8am exam yeah. than try to stay up all night. So I was always in bed by like 10, 10 30 in college. And I mean, not always, but like that was the goal. And I did it most nights and it was amazing. So it's like, you can do it. It can be done. And know through like you're know that you're not going through it alone. You're not the first or the last person to try to do it. And let that be comforting and not discouraging. Be like, oh yeah, other people can do it. So can I. <laughs> and I and I think that's so important. Um, I, you know, I, I'm most of the schools that I've been at, they've been Division three schools, and uh, I, I find that Division three athletes, they 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 don't understand what it means to be an athlete. And they don't, or they're not willing to 
uh, do what it takes to be a student athlete. Um, and, that, and that's not all of them. I've, I've had some great students uh, who are athletes, but, but definitely, you know, I kind of look back at my college days and I even look back at my life now and, 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 and say like, you know, what did I do last season and how did I fit that in with work and family? And, uh, and, and that balancing act of training, I think, is lacking. Um, and I don't know if it's because, the, you know, endurance sports tend to, you know, lend themselves to athletes who are more organized. But, I, you know, it's, it's like how could we bottle this? How, how could we bring this to athletes so that they could better kind of prepare themselves? And I, I often wonder if it's just the team aspect in, in the college environment where you have a very rigid schedule. We must practice at this time. Whereas me, it's like, well, I got to get up at six. I got to get my workout in. Right. Yeah. I think that having that, like some component of structure, like already done for you is huge. Um, Cause I feel like, yeah, for me, like being, just being a pro, not just, but like being a pro cyclist and everything I do during the day is completely decided by me. Like I have, I have nothing like aside from, you know, a podcast call at seven that is like predetermined. Right. So it's like everything I do is like on my own schedule. But if I, if I had like, if I had my collegiate team that was like, okay, we practice at this time every day or this, that, or the other thing, like, um, adding that structure, I think helps make it a little bit more organized. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, you know, one more question, because we are on this topic, um, and, and you have finished your degree, uh, in your opinion, I, I mean, how important do you think it is to, to go to college or at least to get that education, um, as you're, you know, working towards a professional racing career? I mean, it is, it, I mean, do you think that's important for young racers? Yeah, I, <laughs> I absolutely do. But I think I like, I completely understand that college isn't for everyone. Um, and I like, I hope that if anyone hears this, like they, they understand, like I actually didn't really have any plans of going to college until like right before college apps were due. Like I hadn't really thought about it. And then the only thing that had really got me thinking about going to school was like, um, you know, getting recruited to some collegiate school, like to some collegiate teams, and I started thinking about it. I was like, oh, I actually don't know if I really want to do like the, I want to do the cycling school route, but maybe I'm still interested in going to college. Um, so yeah, I understand that college isn't for everyone. Um, but for me, I'm so glad that I did it. Like, yeah, it was really hard. Uh, and there were like a lot of, a lot of like stressful aspects to it, but it's like, it's amazing life experience. Um, it's like, I've learned, I've learned so much about like what I hope to work uh, like the field that I hope to work in in the future. And I also just learned so much about other things. Like my, my point of view and like, yeah, like my perspective and my opinions on so much has changed so drastically by getting to meet people who were different than me, uh, in school. And that's like such a valuable experience. And I think going to school at the, like, I guess, traditional age, uh, was actually really valuable for me as well. So it's like, you can go to school whenever, but I was actually really glad to kind of get it done before my cycling career. Like, I guess if you will, like took off or, or hopefully takes off. Um, 
so yeah, I like, I just rather I'd, I'm happy to have it done. It's like getting your workout done in the morning rather than like going off and doing stuff and having to come home and get on the bike later in the day. Right. It's like, I'm glad to have it done so that like when I'm done racing, like I can maybe work or like if I want to, I can get my master's or whatever. Um, but it's just, I'm always, I'm kind of glad that I, that I got that out of the, that I got it out of the way and I got that experience this early in my life. Yeah. Cool. Um, I wanted to ask a quick change gears a little bit, but ask a question okay. about, you know, your different teams. I mean, last year you, you were obviously on a, you know, kind of like a, the small team with uh, Jeremy Powers and was you and him and one other person, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Spencer uh, Petro. Right, right, right. Sorry, I forgot his name. And then, um, oh, come on, Hannah. I'll, I'll tell him. Nah, I'm tell him that. Come on, we, we will definitely have him on the podcast. I'm going to text him right now and be like, you are utterly <laughs> forgettable. <laughs> uh, I know he's the guy with the curly hair. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> you can just call him my former roommate. It's like, okay. <laughs> but, um, but I'm and changing to, to like Trek, which I'm, you know, was that the, you know, the uh, Spire team seems to be, you guys kind of were all, like, traveling together and living together. It seemed like a kind of almost like a family, whereas Trek, perhaps, I mean, maybe your, your paycheck is hopefully bigger, but maybe it's a little more corporate. Can you talk about the pros and cons? Or maybe just forget about cons. We don't want to yeah. put any But, you know, what, just the difference between, you know, last year and this year and the different team environments, if there's anything you, you, you would be willing or care, care to share with, uh, with our audience. Yeah, it is different. I mean, like it's, it's totally different in a way, like at the end of the day, it's a, it's a bike team and we're going to bike races and we ride bikes and like, there's only so much that can be different. Um, of course, but like, yeah, I aspire was like so tight knit. It was crazy. Like Spencer and I were living together in Jeremy's rental. Um, and like Jeremy lived a five minutes from us. Like Jeremy lives five minutes from the house I live in. Like those are lived in my living room and we like drove to all the races together. And like Tom Hopper is like one of my best friends and Molly is like one of my best friends. And like, yeah, we had Brandon and Peter and we were all like so close. And we had like, we like probably to a fault knew like everything about each other's lives. Like it was, yeah, it was like a, a traveling circus, like a family traveling circus. Um, but it was different because it was like Jeremy was the director and the owner and the manager and athlete. So it was like, it was like kind of this one person for everything. Whereas right. on Trek, it's super different because there's like 50 people for like everything, you know, like even like going through like some of what we do goes through the race shop and there are multiple people in the race shop that you work with. And then we have like our team director and we have, mechanics and we have managers and like there's just so many so many different components um and I think that that the it's actually a really positive a positive change and I loved being on Aspire but I think like this was a big it was a positive step for like more growth and more room to do what I wanted to do um so yeah it's it's just so interesting seeing like how things expand and like just operate on such a big level because it's like we have Trek Factory XC but then there are also so many other, so many other like Trek Factory programs. Um, right, so because they're starting a women's women's World Tour road team, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And of course, there's the men's road team. Yeah. Are you guys at all connected? Are all or or those programs completely separate and independent of each other? Um. So the the other mountain bike programs, like the uh, like the 
on the gravity side, there is some connection there. Um, but no, we, we don't have like really any overlap, at least like nothing. There's like very little overlap between the athletes. Like we don't really interact much like managerially, like, uh, with it, like within the management, there is some overlap, I suppose. But, um, yeah, like we never, we don't do anything like with the other teams for the most part. I mean, when would Trek Segafredo and, uh, Trek Factory Racing XC like really be in the same spot? But, um, yeah, no, it's just so cool. Like, it's so cool to see a program like Aspire make so much out of like such a small, such a small crew and then see like just how big of an operation it is on like yeah to ride for like a a factory program is it's been so so fantastic like so many different experiences in such a short period of time and it's um I'm still like so honored to be on the team uh and just to be like oh my god I'm I'm a part of this and like yeah I get the I get to see all of it is pretty exciting that's that's cool yeah um and kind of uh, following up on that do you was so you're you're also racing uh, the mountain bike circuit for Trek, right? Is that, that's correct. Yes. So how how do you is, was this the first season of a full full pro mountain bike circuit? Yeah. So I've raced I raced mountain bikes growing up like my whole life, um, but current current day XC is so different from yeah what I grew up doing. Um, so I did a. A little bit of professional mountain bike racing in the past, but just domestic stuff. So this was my first year racing professional cross-country World Cups and, like, all the top uh, mountain bike events in the U.S., and it was crazy. It was, like, kind of – it wasn't expected. Like, I had been making these plans to race these events, but I wasn't holding my breath because it can be hard to find jobs to do it, especially if you don't have any mountain bike experience. Um, (laughs) So I was so lucky to – home with track and to have this opportunity and I just I showed up to every race just like kind of out of my mind like oh my god I'm doing this like this is my dream and I'm living it <laughs> right that's awesome are you I mean are you uh I don't know are you any of you are your long-term goals to try to get on the Olympic team for mountain biking or is cross still your your kind of a focus yeah a little bit of both um definitely definitely always plan on racing cross um it's where my heart is, but I, God, I love mountain biking. It's like, I just love racing my bike and any chance I get to race it is amazing. Um, but I think, yeah, for a mountain, definitely the goal is to try to go to the Olympics. I have my sights set on Tokyo, but the thing is like, and I've said this before, I've said it a, a thousand different ways, but truth be told with, um, racing the Olympic or trying to go to the Olympics, you can, um, you either make it and that's fantastic or you don't and you just became the best version of yourself at that point in time so it's like really not a uh i feel like there's no there's a win-win no reason whatever happens it's a win-win exactly yeah. thank you um just one more question on that um are there is, is it different having like female teammates i guess with with aspire you know you didn't have any female teammates because on track is, it, I guess, more on the mountain bike. You don't really have any female teammates racing cross, right? But on the mountain bike, I do. Oh, you do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Evie and I, um, Evie Richards and I are teammates. Oh, for that's both right. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, yeah, um, it's freaking fantastic. Oh my god, I like, I could talk about this forever. Um, but having, yeah, having women around, having women teammates is like, it's so fantastic. Like, it's 
I think like 2017, 2018 were the years that I really began to realize just how much I love being around other women, especially athletes. Like it's so inspiring for me and I gained so much from being around them and from learning from them and just becoming friends. So like having Emily and Evie both on the mountain bike this year were, it was, it was fantastic. Like I feel like we're sisters. It's like, it was really, really positive and yeah, we, we experienced a lot together, especially for me. It was like kind of, it was such a, like, it was such a wild ride <laughs> this year. So I'm really, really thankful, um, to have had them. And yeah, it's, it's so special, especially going, I was really close with everyone on Aspire. Um, and fortunately we did have Molly, our amazing manager and one of my good friends. Um, so it was great to have a woman around, but then having two other, yeah, two other women teammates was, um, was new, was newer for me. I bet I was on a women's road team. Um, but this is the first time that I think that like, I really had the opportunity to become close with teammates like that. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting too, because, um, it makes me think of, uh, you know, girls only schools and, you know, we, we often talk about, well, you know, we, we don't really need to separate the sexes and we don't, you know, you know, we can learn just as well. And, and, and what we find is that, um, particularly for girls more than boys, uh, girls learn better in a, a, a female only environment. Uh, and I, I think kind of listening to your, uh, your perspective, it makes me wonder if it's, it's, it's part of that, that, you know, that role modeling, that, that, that ability to um, see others like you in the same situations, kind of doing the same things and, and, and uh, you know, all, almost gaining inspiration from that. Um, and it's just, uh, I think it's important. I, I think that, that, that a lot of times, uh, you know, particularly aspiring women racers kind, kind of lack that environment. Um, I certainly, you know, for the research that I do, I, I have a hell of a time getting women, um, into a research study. And a lot of people say, well, you know, how come you don't do more studies for women and be like, I would love to, uh, but <laughs> try recruiting women into a research study and they're, they're not there. So, so I think a lot of women that get into cycling, they get in and they're on group rides with guys and they're learning from guys. And I think along those lines, uh, what, what do you think? Um, what do you think the tangible differences are for maybe how, uh, you know, you know, how you've interacted with men coming into the sport or, or even what you've learned? Do you, do you, do you think the advice kind of the perspective of the advice is different, um, that you get from men and women? Yeah, I think so. I think like there's so, there's so much there, uh, that you just brought up, I think are such great points. Um, yeah, I think like something I was even talking to my coach about today is like, um, I don't know. I, so a couple of things and I, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose this. I'm trying to like get this all out in a coherent way, but, um, the, I'm going to mess this up, but the, uh, like tour of surfing, the surf tour, whatever the acronym is that they use, like the world surf league or something like that has just announced that they're going to do equal pay. And that's fantastic. But that has also spurred this debate that like, well, if they're so equal, why not compete together? And I think that what you're talking about with the schools is a great example, or it's like we're equal, but it doesn't mean that like we should just be forced into the same 
category all the time. Like, and this is something that comes up all the time with cycling. And it, I find it really frustrating because it's like, we want to have these nuanced conversations about equality in cycling or within, within sports in general. And people always bring up these kind of like red herrings that I just find are very distract, distracting. Um, so it's like, well, like we should just compete. Like if women are so good, like they should just compete with the men, but it's different. Like, I don't know what it is in my brain. And this is what I was saying. I was talking about with my coach even today. I don't know what it is in my brain, but I don't feel as competitive with other men and not like in a toxic way, not even like societally, like, women being pitted against each other, anything like that. Like just in a bike race, I, I like, I will give it my everything to win a race, but like I kind of lose my competitive drive a little bit when I'm racing against men. And I, and I don't know why, but I think it's, um, yeah, I, I, I haven't been able to put my finger on it, but as you were saying, like women learn better when they're in women only environments. And I think a part of that is like, we feel safer around people that we, that we know are similar to us. So I've like, I've had a hard time learning around at certain times, depending on who I'm with, I've had a hard time learning around men because I'm afraid of messing up and it kind of being like confirmation bias where it's like, yeah, I knew women weren't good. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like learning this new thing. Just give me a minute. (laughs) Um, And so I think, Yeah. yeah, with that in mind to, to finally answer your question, things that I've learned and how it's been different, like, yeah, I've had, I've had some people, I've had some people who have been really good coaches and some people who have been not so good coaches. Um, and I've really tried to use that to become a better coach myself with how I train people with skills. But at the end of the day, it's why I created my, my cyclocross quest, which is like a summer camp essentially, um, for young women, because it's the first time that I think like their needs and like their athletic ability is being put first where they're not just being treated like where they're not just going to draft the boys for the rest of the day or to just do what the boys are doing. It's like, we're putting you first and we want to make sure like you take a lot away from this week. It's, it's, it's just about you. Um, because I, I do think it is a little bit different. Like even if we learn at the same speed and we learn the same stuff, just kind of, yeah, I think it can be like a more supportive environment and it can elevate growth by quite a lot. Yeah. And I, this is not my wheelhouse of research, but but there there definitely is a shift, and and I find it interesting. I have a I have a three year old daughter, and at at this age, like she doesn't see differences. Like she knows mm-hmm. she's a girl, and she knows what boys are, but when when it comes to play, um, she she does what she does, and and mm-hmm. unfortunately she, she she's kind of crazy. Um, but, but crazy in a good way. And I, and I love that. But, but what I love the most is that she, she doesn't see the limitations and she doesn't see the differences. And, and certainly that, that does change. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I don't know when it changes, but, but it's, it's definitely part psychology, it's socialization, it's all of those factors, um, and I think, I, I think you're right. I, I, I think it's difficult to have this conversation because we want a kind of a one size fits all. Oh, you know, you want to be treated equal. Okay. Well, you know, then you got to race with the guys or, you know, we got to do it this way. And, and really there is a lot of nuance there. Um, but I think that, that, you, you know, that skill development, women can, can, can really, uh, develop, 
um, I, I think more evenly over time if they're if if they're exposed to more women, um, mm -hmm. especially in racing, and that's why I love all of these like, like these programs that are popping up and and kind of getting uh, you know girls out there in all sorts of different sports, but 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 getting yeah. them out there because I think that that's really the better way to go than to try to you know some forced solution. Um, because, you know, frankly, right now, it, especially in America, women's cycling, um, <laughs> it is, it's kind of where it's at, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, the results that you guys are getting and, and, um, the development that we've had and, and, and all of that, I think is indicative of, of the, just the change in the women that are coming into the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I think even something that you said that just that kind of like sparked something for me is um, it doesn't even have to be like women's only groups, but I think right now in cycling, like if it's not women's only, it's going to be like token female, basically. Like it's really hard to find like an even, an even split. It's like yeah. if 30 people show up, it's going to be probably 25 guys and five women, um, unfortunately. And so, like, when you do, like, these women's-only events, it's, like, encouraging more women to come out. Um, so I think, like, I think that, like, I've noticed, like, with the, with the Jam Fund, like, the development team that I, that I um, rode for in college, like, it was two men and two women on the elite team. And then we had a couple of people, like, maybe six or seven riders on the development team, and a couple of them were women, and then, like, the, the rest were men. And so it made for, like probably like 60 40 split between men and women um and that was huge and like everyone was just treated equally and it was really really phenomenal like you were saying that your young daughter um sees everything equally right now and like that's how I was raised like my whole life and so when I got to like, middle school and people started to like like I, I guess the gender norm started to become slightly more obvious as like you know, kids are going through puberty and they're like learning about sexuality and whatnot, like gender becomes like a much bigger topic. And it's like, that's like when you start to see that divide. Um, but for me, it was like such an eye, op it was such an eye opening experience. Cause I was like, Oh, I didn't know that like identifying as a woman was going to like come with all these other things. Right. Um, and so, yeah, like being on the jam fund was the same where it was like super even where it wasn't like, it wasn't like, it was in fact like, no, don't make excuses and don't say that like you can't do this because of X, Y, and Z. It's like you have all the skill set necessary, like regardless of who you are, where you come from, or like how you identify, like you have the ability to do this. So just get it done. Um, and so I think that kind of like no buts about it, but like you can definitely do this mentality was really, really, really value for, valuable for me in my development. Um, so I think if you, if we could continue to work towards like just increasing the amount of women in the sport that show up to these things where it's not like, if it's not women's only, it's like all men stuff. Um, I think that that would be really positive. So, uh, how do you think we do that? I mean, how, how, um, yeah. I know I just, <laughs> sorry, heavy sigh. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, oh. Hey, Hey, give us a solution right now. <laughs> but, but, on, but no, I, I mean, what are some of your, your thoughts? I, I mean, what are, uh, you know, or, or even maybe you don't know if, if, if it'll work, but what do you think you would like to try or what you'd like to see? 
Here's, okay. There's like a thousand things, obviously, that need to be done where it's like this super small thing and this other really small thing. Truth be told, everyone just needs to start being nicer. I think we're going to get a lot more people into cycling if people just start being nice. Like, I see so many like mean, close-minded comments about like not giving a crap about equality, not giving a crap about women, saying that certain racing is boring, certain racers aren't trying hard enough. Like, it's just so negative. Like, you know what I've seen get that has like, inspired people to like either get into the sport or like double down on their involvement in the sport is being supportive. Like people supporting me has made me want to be more involved in the sport. And in turn, me supporting people I've seen, I have like heard directly from people being like, wow, like you and other people being supportive has really made me want to like do more of this. And it's like, for me, that's like, that's science enough to be like, okay, like when you're nice to people, they want to come back. Like look at CrossFit. I, like you can think whatever you want to about CrossFit and the sport itself, but like there's no denying that whatever their business model is, is they're doing it right. Like they are such an inclusive, like just kind of like kind of anything goes group of people where it's like, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or if like, this is the first time you've done a sport in your life. Like you're all working out in the same gym on the same, like kind of industrial rustic gym structure stuff. Like, and everyone loves it. Like people are going bananas over it. And so and it's it, like, like I, how is cycling different? Yeah. And that's a great point. Cause, cause I actually did my, um, uh, my weightlifting certification a few years ago through U USA weightlifting. And we were at a CrossFit facility who had do donated the time. And, uh, it was, it, it was probably a 60, 40 split between male and mm -hmm. female, but, but wow. still it was, wow, wow, there are a, a lot of women here and yes. they lift a lot more weight than I do. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but, but it was like, it was like, wow, you know, I mean, I, I, and, and, and you just saying this really made me rethink about that. I was like, wow, you know, there, there were a lot of women there. Um, and it's, it's one of those things. How do you get people involved and like, what can you do? And, and I, I think that, that, that you're right because we see this, um, you know, you know, certainly in running, uh, you know, the running community embraces everybody. I mean, yeah. anybody can be a runner. Um, but, but even to, to some extent triathlon, like triathlon yes. has women's groups and mm -hmm. they're big and, 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 and all sorts of women are, are coming out to try triathlon. And, and I, I still don't quite see that with, with cycling. And I think that, yeah. that, that it's a, the inclusiveness. It's so, cycling is so exclusive. It's like insane. This is something I've been sitting on for a long time where it's like, I have these things about myself that I do where like, I like to wear white shoes and white socks because I think it looks really cool. But you know what I actually do not care about at all are socks or sock color or sock length. Like I'll tease my friends because I'm like, I'm like, dude, why are you wearing like weird socks and like with those shoes or whatever, but it's like, God, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it does not matter at all. Socks. Like you don't want to wear socks. You don't even have cycling shoes. That's fine. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's just so funny. Like cycling has like so many high bars of entry for a sport. That's like, we're literally riding bikes. Like 
virtually you your socks before you leave your house. You don't know right. Uh... It's like it's like virtually <laughs> anyone can ride a bike. Same thing goes for running, where it's like it's like basically anyone can do this. I'm not saying anyone can do it well, but I'm saying like the vast majority of people have the skill set to complete our sport. <laughs> so it's like we're being kind of pretentious for a sport. Like I can't swim. Like swimmers could be pretentious if they want to, because like I couldn't do their sport, but like, dang, most people know how to ride a bike. So it's like, I feel like we just need to understand that like our sport should be super accessible and that like, we just need to stop taking ourselves so seriously. I think that that's going to increase growth like crazy. Like CrossFit is so inclusive. I volunteered at a CrossFit gym this winter um, when I was living in Tucson and like, oh my God, they're like some of the nicest people. Cause I think that they just understand like they're all coming from different backgrounds. They're like, yeah, at the end of the day, you know what we're doing? We're picking up weights and we're putting them back down. And like, they understand the absurdity of it. Like that's all we're doing. Like we're just doing ridiculous, like we're all just doing ridiculous things. So like we need to be a little less like serious about it. I think. <laughs> I was, I'm curious, kind of, kind of like in the same direction, but bearing off a little bit. And this is, I was really not planning on, talking about this today but it seems to to go into seems to flow with our conversation have are you involved at all with uh with nica with the high you know the high school mountain bike league oh yeah no i know nica i oh, okay. so i have i have a little bit of involvement with them um so trek has trek has um trek like trek loves nica um, so kind of like through, through them this year for my scholarship or sorry for my camp, no quest. Oh my gosh. I'm losing it. Sorry. <laughs> um, this year for my no quest, problem. not a camp. Um, we offered a scholarship through Trek for a NICA athlete, oh, cool. um, wow. which was really cool. So we, Trek was so generous and donated an entry to a NICA athlete or yeah, to my quest for a Nike athlete. So we were really lucky. We had like so many cool applicants, um, ended up on like one super, super, super phenomenal rider, um, to kind of like help them transition from like Nike racing into like high level cyclocross. So, um, yeah, like that's, that's like super, super early on involvement for me. It's like, sometimes it can be hard to choose like to choose like where to put my energy. So yeah, being able obviously. to do like little things here and little things there feels really good. Cause it's like, I am not doing as much with Nika as I would like to, but I'm like having like a little bit and being able to like mentor a rider through Nika has been um, like was super positive this year. And it's like a small step towards like um, a lot more of what I hope to do in the future. Cause it seems like Nika that might be, I mean, part of the answer is, is of, you know, what we're talking about. If you, you know, getting, getting kids involved when they're, you know, I don't know, 13 or 14 or 15 and having, you know, some of their friends in school and all that, that can lead to, you know, a lifetime of, of, of cycling and more, more people, you know, getting, entering the sport and being involved in the sport and stuff like that. So. Yeah, absolutely. No, whatever, whatever NICA is doing, they're doing it right. Anytime that you can pull that many high school athletes to an event, like that's, it's insane. What they're doing is, yeah, it's absolutely the future of the sport. Um, and I hope that, yeah, I hope that more people take notice to what they're doing because it's really, really, really rad. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, from a public health standpoint, um, it, I ran a, a junior team 
once upon a time. Um, but, but you know, the way I would approach it and, and, and explain it to people is I said, look it, you know what, I want, I want to have a team. I want to bring juniors in. I'd, I'd love to win a national championship. But at the end of the day, I just want to get kids riding bikes. Because Absolutely. even if they, they race and they hate it and they, and they, and they barely ride their bike again, um, 10 years from now, that's, that's a driver who, who might, might pause for a second and give a little bit more room when they're passing. Or mm -hmm. if you're even more, more lucky, um, that's somebody who just says, you know what, racing's not for me, but I love this bike riding thing and I'm just going to ride. Right. And, and, um, and I, you know, I don't know at what point it happens, but certainly bike riding in general doesn't become cool for a lot of people. But for girls, uh, I, I think just, just general athletics doesn't become cool. And, you know, NICA has that ability to, to bring, um, you, you know, kids in um, and girls, but, but, but just kids in general who are often – um, kind of pushed to the wayside of, of, of sports teams because they're not good. And, and I'll tell you, I was one of them. I can't, yeah. I can't play basketball. I can't play baseball. Um, I can't play football. I, I just don't have that coordination. But endurance sports are something that I gravitated to and I was good at. And I think there are a yeah. lot of kids out there that, that would take it up with the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the sports that are offered in, in school are like it's so limited. Like it, it's, it speaks to like a very specific skill set and it's like kind of redundant. It's like the same sports, like, or like the same sort of skill set over and over and over again, where it's like hand-eye coordination and sprinting essentially. And it's like, uh, it's like that, that famous quote about judging a fish on its ability to climb a tree. Like it's the same, it's the same thing with, with sports where it's like, people can be really, really, really good at stuff. But like, I was only good at hockey because I could skate really fast. I had no, no ability to like, um, like to do anything with the puck. Basically it was like, I was there to like chase people down and knock them over. Like that, <laughs> that was what I was doing. I was the enforcer. Like, um, so it's a yeah, dying it's, breed. That's a dying it breed. Is, pro hockey. It is. <laughs> um, but yeah. So like, you know, but I can't imagine like, so I was super lucky to at least have like a coach that saw my skill set and like would still play me. But like, yeah, I wasn't like a super great hockey player. Um, and so like, I can just imagine people who like, who are athletic or like who just need sports in their life. And I think that's why track and field is so great. Cause there's like 50 different disciplines and it's like, you have to be able to like, at least just do one of them. Right. Like, even if you're not good, like you can still compete and you can ride on the bus and you can like go to the spaghetti dinners and have fun with your teammates. Right. And like, there's enough events that like, you can find something that you're not going to like, that you're going to be less bad at. Um, and so I think like, that's the cool thing with cycling. And like, that's why I think that it has so much promise is it's like, you know, you can talk about professional athletics all you want, but like in high school, everyone can just like go out and just ride a bike. And it's so sick. And it's like, if you like, you want to sprint or if you want to go on really long rides or anything in between, I feel like you can really make cycling into whatever you want it to be. And that's like kind of the message that I think that, that I think NICA sends. Um, and I hope more avenues continue to send um, going forward. Yeah. Um, 
I wanted to ask you something, you know, something that you're obviously quite popular, quite famous for your, you know, the whole, uh, your bunny hopping thing. I know you just had a whole piece in uh, Bicycling Magazine about that. Um, and also your, uh, I guess you, something you post on Instagram, you, but you, uh, I don't know if you call it bunny hopping or riding up the stairs or what, what, what do you, what, what's that called exactly oh. <laughs> from this weekend? Oh, I don't know what you'd call it. I guess you could say <laughs> riding up the yeah, stairs. Yeah, stair right. hopping. Stair yeah, hopping. hopping. That was very impressive, by the way. Thank but, you. Uh, <laughs> um, I guess for can you is can you um, uh, for people that are listening and maybe want to want to you know try it not not quite on that level but just want to kind of, you know, dip their toes into the bunny hopping world? Can you uh, break it down or give a, you know, a primer, a very basic, simple beginner's primer on that? Barely. Okay. <laughs> we just have to go to your Instagram. By the way, yeah. if anyone, for all of our listeners, go check out Ellen's Instagram to see what I'm talking about. That uh, stair hopping, riding, whatever you're going to call it, is, is, is very, very impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, I... Between my personal Instagram, Ellen Likes Bikes, and uh, my Bunny Hop the Patriarchy Instagram, which is at Bunny Hop the Patriarchy, um, I hope that you'll find, and even the hashtag Bunny Hop the Patriarchy, I hope that you'll find some videos that will do, will, as I say, if uh, pictures worth a thousand words, a video is worth a lot more. Um, it'll do way more than I could ever explain to you with bunny hopping, but essentially in cycling, we, or in cyclocross, we run over planks, like barriers that are, 30 to 40 centimeters tall um, and normally you run them but there's like kind of a uh, yeah it, it was super popular in men's racing to bunny hop them which is like through a very specific motion lifting your wheels off the ground and jumping the two planks um, and it was not popular in women's racing so it had only been done like really kind of like one time like at least you know in like a, in a big race uh, so I had like, kind of, I kind of went to work on being able to do it. Cause I felt like it was something that the sport needed to like, kind of, you know, show that women can do whatever it is that men are doing. Um, so I, yeah, I went to work and I learned how to bunny hop and it sort of has grown into a life of its own. Um, my mission to literally just jump over barriers has then <laughs> turned into a, a much greater discussion about, um, barriers and not just in uh, not just like the, the wooden ones. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, so that's the too long didn't read on bunny hopping and bunny hop the patriarchy. But yeah, essentially bunny hopping is like a, comes from like a kind of a BMX trick, but it's like rocking back, picking up the front wheel and then kind of like flicking your feet while you throw the bike forward and it, it throws the front wheel over while picking up the rear wheel. But Mostly I'll just say you should, uh, you should just look it up because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to describe it. And like, you're going to see a video and be like, Oh wow. That's totally not what I was envisioning. <laughs> right. Have you, have you ever, I'm curious, like when you were first, you know, learning how to do it or trying to do it or whatever, I don't know if that's a good word. We're practicing it. Uh, did, were there some bad, like, uh, you know, catching a front wheel and, and uh, having some bad, you know, endos or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, there are a couple. I've, like, definitely gone down doing it a couple of times, but I learned really slowly. Like, I I milked the learning process over the course of, like, several years. Um, and, like, the way that I hopped initially was actually, like, pretty safe. So now the way that I've started to hop has 
like you can definitely add speed in a lot more easily. So like you have a lot more room to, to kind of ace yourself. Um, but yeah, there are definitely, there are horror stories. I crashed in a race one time and that was like really upsetting. Um, but I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any really good ones. Um, like some people do. <laughs> I actually, the first, like one of the first times that I was learning how to hop, I ended up with like a pretty solid dent in my helmet and I had like just gotten it. Oh, wow. Uh, I could see it for like the rest of the year that I had like this dent in my helmet, but that's really it. I don't have anything like super great about it. I'm, I'm curious, is it, is it, does it really, um, does it give, does it give you an advantage in races? Like you actually get ahead of people or is it kind of just like a thing? you know, the fans want to see, or is it a combination of the two? Definitely a combination. It depends on the barriers. It depends on the height uh, and, like, where they're located. Sometimes, like, for sure, huge advantage. Sometimes no advantage at all, and sometimes a disadvantage. So, like, barriers that are the maximum height that you can have for UCI legal barriers are 40 centimeters. So if you're hopping full height barriers, it's it's actually slower because you have to slow down so much to be oh, able right. to to get up over them, but I'll just run the full 40, the full 40 centimeters. Um, but anything lower than that, for the most part, it is faster. Um, and people only, people only look at it from like the moment, like from barrier to barrier, but it's like, if you look at the whole section in general, it's actually usually faster to hop because it's like you can sprint in, then you can recover like and hop over the barriers rather than run. Then you can sprint out. So like probably like, you know, that whole section, if you look at it, like, the 10 to 15 second section is actually faster for the most part. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that it's, it's, um, if you're thinking that bunny hopping will win the race for you, um, it's probably not, not going to happen, but, but certainly there, there are times in cyclocross races where uh, just that little bit, that little bit of advantage um, can can really create a separation, or if you're, you're, you've already got a gap, uh, you know, getting off running, um, you, you can, you, you can definitely kind of stretch your, your, uh, your advantage a little bit. So I, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's one thing I could never really master. I, 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 I raced cross for about five years and, and, uh, I just said, ah, oh, you know what, I, I could, I can focus on getting on and off the bike better. Yeah, um, absolutely. And that's something we say all the time where like it's for 99% of people, it's going to be a party trick. Like I right. like to imagine that someday the difference, like the race winning move is going to be me hopping barriers or something. <laughs> but like for most people, it's like you should just spend more time doing anything else. But like, I just understand the appeal because it is cool. It's like super cool to be able to do it. So I know why people want to, but it's like, it is, it is a bit silly because you're like, this isn't the most effective use of time, but I respect it. I totally get it. <laughs> I get, I get what people want to do it. Yeah. And I, it's, it's funny be, be, because if you take the opposite side of that, um, I, I race Xterra now and, uh, I, I do clinics for beginners and I think the one one piece of advice that I give that that so many of the newer riders are are amazed at is I tell them you know a lot of times I, I might only get one pre ride and I show up and if I can't ride a section you know probably seventy five percent of the time so so I might go through it a few times I just plan to run 
And yeah, they're absolutely. like, you, wait, you get off your bike? You have to, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. Because <laughs> if I come into a technical section um, and I see a lot of traffic, because I'm a, I, I'm a pretty slow swimmer, so, so I have to make mm-hmm. up a lot of time. If I see traffic or I see anything where I can't get the line I want, I get off and run. And I said, if you can do a well-timed dismount and get back on your bike, you will save infinitely more time than if you get stuck halfway between a rock garden and then you're trying to clip out and get off your bike. I'm, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. plan a good dismount. Um, and I think it's, it's uh, for, for, for a lot of people, it's an eye opener because they think like, oh, you know, you're – you're skilled. You must be awesome. And it's like, no, nah, I crash all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, we were just talking about me riding the stairs. That's like, I, I flipped over riding the stairs. <laughs> yeah. We do it all the time. And like, that's a part of it is messing up and just being able to, the objective is to just keep moving forward. <laughs> well, cool. Um, you know, you know, j- just kind of thinking about, uh, you know, the future and for you, I know you said that, that, that you're looking beyond cycling, but I think for now you're young. Um, where, where do you see yourself in, you, you know, I'll, I'll keep it simple, three years, like where, where do you see yourself in the sport or even where would you like to see yourself like results wise? Hmm. Okay. I'm 22. So put me at 25. So that's, I was just talking about this today by 25. I hope I will have been to the Olympics um, I'd like to own a house and I'd like to have meddled at the cross pole championships. Cool. And I like the fact that it's one non-cycling goal, but you know, owning a house. <laughs> um, yeah, that's like the only, that's like the only thing left for me really like non-cycling. Like I know some people are like, I want to be married and have kids or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm going to do I'm good. I'm just, I like really want to own a house. Like, but I, I want to own a house of my own. <laughs> like, I just, want that. Like, I hey, just this. keep in mind that if you, if you thought college took up a lot of time, houses can really suck a lot of time out of your life. Um, depending on how much you want to be handy. Uh, it's, it's God, man, it'll drive you nuts. I know. But, that's like, that's the truth. I, I like totally want to flip a house, but I'm like, Maybe I'll just buy something that's like good as is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know what? There's something to be said for that. Um, you mm-hmm. know, especially if you want a place to to come back, uh, and, and not to get us on houses, but um, but 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 that was one thing that I realized. Like when when we bought our first house, uh, how how nice it feels. How nice it feels to actually come home and 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 not be renting and just to just have that. Um, you know, even after travel, you know, it's just like, ah, I'm going to go home and I'm going to relax in my house. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's the goal. (laughs) So I have one last, one last question for y'all. I'd like to kind of start wrapping up, but, um, for any, anyone that's listening and maybe is, uh, you know, rides road or is a triathlete or, or, you know, something like that. And, you know, they hear all this buzz about cross and what have you, um, um, is, is there some advice, you know, maybe they want to try it out. Is there one piece of advice? I don't know. Maybe that's, that's too general, too simplified of a question perhaps, but, uh, you know, if there's something maybe that you wish you had known, you know, when you started out that no one told you or, you know, or something like that, 
or you know, is there is there anything like that you would you would suggest that you would you would tell anyone? Um, okay, so if you're like just starting out with cyclocross and you or like if you really want to try it, and you've because like you've heard that cyclocross is amazing and it of is. Of course. Um, I would say, like cyclocross is fun, so don't let it be anything but. I think that's my biggest advice is like people come to cross from road or try or anything. Cause it's like really high pressure or whatever, but like cross, that's the cool thing about cross. And that's why I think it's so accessible is because like you can go and like you can mess everything up and it's completely inconsequential. And it's like a cross because it's still fun. And it's like the laps are eight minutes and you do it for 45 minutes. So it's not like in road, if you get dropped, your race is over and in mountain, like, if you're not having a good day, you're going to be out there for several hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like with cross, it's like, it's, it's low risk, low, like low investment, all that stuff. So it's like, it's just fun. So just let it be fun. Like, don't stress about it. And like, yeah, just don't, don't let like nerves or pressure get in the way of letting it be fun. Um, know that you will get better and that your first race is not representative of like how you're going to be forever. And my last piece of advice if you are serious about trying cyclocross, like you don't want to just hop into a race, but if you're like, Hey, I really like this. What's next. Go to a, a skills camp or like a, a clinic. Like I help. I'm one of the coaches at the cycle smart cross camp every August and absolutely like should be on the top of your list. If you want to try cross, um, there are others just because they exist doesn't mean that they're like reputable. So I would say shop around, ask around, like look at the coach's Instagram photos and see like if they have good technique, I guess, if you don't know how to identify that, then that may be challenging, but yeah, definitely 100%. My piece of advice would be like, if you're serious about doing it, paying a little bit of money to do a skills session with someone um, and like refining your technique is going to make your life a lot more enjoyable. That's my advice. Sounds good. That is awesome. Um, yeah, I think uh, I know I'm speechless. Um, but uh, but but yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed uh, you know getting a chance to talk with you and, and, and getting a chance to know you a little bit more because um, you know I've seen your name pop up in in results and I try to follow cycling still. Uh, somewhat, yeah. but, um, but, but it's hard, you know, it's hard yes. to, to, I don't have the same emotional invested interest. Um, perhaps if my, my daughter starts racing, uh, we're thinking about getting her into, she's got a strider bike and she, she, yes. she loves that thing. Uh, and there's a BMX track that has races. I'm just waiting to the point where she can stay focused enough to, to, to complete <laughs> the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think what you said is just really interesting. I, I, I really love your perspective, um, and I really do wish you luck uh, in the rest of the season. And certainly if you're traveling through Virginia, um, you know, you, you want to uh, stop by and chat or you want a place to stay, just, uh, you know, drop me a line. I'd be happy to Thank you so much. I appreciate out. it. Yeah. Uh, well, Ellen Noble. Uh, again, thanks for coming on. And yeah, thanks for coming thank out. So I really much. appreciate oh, it. You, you know what? I should say, uh, where where can people find you if they want to 
uh, you know, learn more. We know that you've got Instagram, Ellen mm-hmm. likes bikes, uh, yes. all one word, uh, but where else can they find you? So Instagram and Twitter are Ellen likes bikes. Um, you can follow my bunny hopping page, which is bunny hop the patriarchy and support that cause. If you're interested, um, that's also a hashtag that you can follow. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ellen Noble cyclist. And if you ever want to connect with me directly, uh, if you have any questions or anything, um, you can contact me through my website, which is ellennoble.com. And you can learn more about my quest, uh, like the summer camp that I do and, and all that stuff through my website as well. Well, great. Ellen Noble, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good luck on the rest of the season and your march to Tokyo, hopefully. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Hey, folks. We're going to take a quick break now. And when we come back, Hanak and I are going to be discussing more on racing news, team disbandings, and a little bit on fall training. Stick around. Stay on top, I've been away, time go by, I sense disdain. Welcome back to the One More Mile Podcast. Uh, once again, want to thank Ellen Noble for joining us. Uh, but we also have a lot of racing going on, and Hanak and I are just going to recap uh, a little bit about the world of triathlon. No, no I'm just kidding. Um, there, there, there were some triathlon races too, uh, but uh, yeah, I really don't follow road triathlon too much. Um, but there, there's a race in Spain, right? Is that like what's going there is, on? Well, well, so there's a couple things. Of, you know, there's the, obviously there's, there's, there's the race in Spain which I, I want to talk about, uh, you know, in general. But before we talk about that in general, I would like to talk about uh, kind of just following along with, with our conversation with Ellen a little bit is um, uh, it's, been a, it's been a pretty a good couple of weeks for American uh, cyclists, both in Spain and, uh, and otherwise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a couple of big results to talk about, I think, I think uh, kind of flowing from Ellen, the first one we should mention, which um, uh, if people don't follow cycling closely, perhaps they don't know, but definitely worth knowing about him, is, uh, you know, Kate Courtney just won the gold medal at uh, on the, the World Mountain Bike Championship. Yeah. Which first has time not in been. 17 years. That's, yeah, yeah. Allison Dunlap in 2001, exactly. Um, so that's, that's a big plus for North American and female cyclists in particular. So I definitely want to, you know, highlight that and, and make sure people know about that. That's that's really really awesome. Um, and then there's also the um, God, I'm going to sound stupid here, uh, but the the on the track, the the guy won um, at the Pan American Games, a U.S. Uh, U.S. male gold medal there. And obviously, I didn't don't have my notes proper, but. Uh, uh, handlebar mustache guy the handlebar mustache guy um, gold medal on the track uh last week at pan american uh you know pan american gold medal so that's another 
uh, American, you know, cyclist under the last time an American won a gold medal. Uh, male, I don't even know when it was. It might have been Marty Nothstein. Um, females have a little more success. Um, and then um, I'm curious if we're going to get any hate email uh, that we don't remember his name. But I actually yeah, just remembered it. It's Ashton Lambie. That's right. That's right. Or, I do remember or, his handlebar mustache. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that you, you, know, you know what though I in all seriousness though that 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 I found interesting for a couple of reasons and 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 I know there there have been some some stories and some podcasts uh, I, I on this how he comes from gravel and and all this other stuff um but for me I just I'm thinking about kind of the pedigree and what we've seen in the individual pursuit and you know you know Taylor Finney was you know the phenom and he was going to be the next hot thing and and we we know taylor's had his struggles bradley wiggins um you know you know really dominating the pursuit uh in 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 decades or so before him chris boardman and now we have this just this random american and i'm i'm, I'm wondering what what that means for American cycling? Um, you know, is Ashton Lambie going to be our hope for the Tour de France? Let, let's put all that pressure on him right now. <laughs> um, it just uh, it, you know, it just makes me think like where where does the pursuit fit in the grand scheme of things now? Because Garrett Thomas, great pursuiter, um, but Lambie is twenty seven. Uh, I don't I don't know if 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 that's too late, but then again, I think back to the '90s and Dago Lauritsen, um, you know, started really late in cycling, and and, and we've got uh, 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 Roglic now, so it's going to be interesting. I think is yeah. what, what I'm trying to say. It's like you got this guy out of nowhere, pursuit world record, obviously got some power output, right? Um, right. And so it's it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Right. And then, uh, yeah, we're very interesting to follow his career. See, you know, I don't know if, if he makes it, uh, I mean, I guess that in the short term, not, not that short term, but, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming that the Olympics in 2020 would be his big goal. Uh, it's still, you know, team pursuit away or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah, cause, yeah. Cause pursuits out. Um, but, exactly. uh, but yeah, I mean, team pursuit and that, and that creates a new dynamic cause I don't, uh, not to, not to poo-poo the other Americans who, who I honestly don't, don't, don't remember. Um, but, uh, but I, I don't know if we have the pedigree to, to go for gold. Um, but, but this is going to raise the bar of the entire track program. And so now America comes back as a medal contender. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's good to see our track program heading in that direction. Um, it's, Interesting, I think, for me to to I want to see where USA Cycling takes this um, because it seems like on a number of levels our development isn't isn't quite connecting. Um, and is this going to be the stepping stone? Can can we actually see a, a, a new kickstart to American cycling development? Right, right, exactly. Um, then I also briefly wanted to mention, you know, while we're on the topic of. Americans or, you know, North Americans, uh, you know, Ben King kind of burst out of, not not exactly out of nowhere, uh, but, uh, you know, two stages at the Vuelta, that's very amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, so 
you know, that, that was, that was uh, kind of a breath of fresh air. We haven't really had much success on the Grand Tour scene, not even talking about overall, just even, even stages until, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Tyler Farrar, Tyler Farrar in his heyday, you know, won stages. Um, TJ, you know, won a stage last year at the Giro. But other than that, it's kind of been a long dry spell. So that was, that was really great to see him go out there and kind of, you know, grab the opportunity and, and win two, two pretty very impressive mountain stages. And really, um, really save it for Dimension Data. You know, right, I, exactly, I mean, Dimension yeah, Data exactly. was really, uh, I mean, they were really hurting. Uh, they for were results. very much hurting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think this so, is, you know, it's a big deal in, in, in going into the world championships. Right. Um, I don't, you know, I don't see, just just knowing the dynamic of the world's race, I don't see Ben, um, you know, coming away with a world title. Um, but I think, uh, you know, top ten for an American, Sepp Kuss, or, you know, Ben King, uh, you, you know, I think that, that we have the potential based on the, the difficulty of the world's course. And, uh, you know, we've got Brent Bookwalter as well. And, and, and what the American teams have lacked over the years is uh, the staying power for not only a potential, you know, top 10, but uh, support riders. You know, support right. riders go there and they, 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 I mean, they can't do shit for anybody. You know, they're out on the, you know, the fourth lap or something. Um, or, you know, in fairness to them, um, they, their distance, the distance of the races is is such that uh, they're not prepared for it. And right, then, right. you know, domestic teams, they're they're already wrapping up their season, uh, you know, well before the Worlds. And, and I think that that has really been the biggest problem with our domestic pros trying to support those other riders. So... I think that 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 Ben and Sepp, um, in particular, be be uh, with their abilities, their skill sets. Uh, I, I think that we could see an American at least come back into the top ten, and we we really need that. I think that yeah, that's yeah. Some, something that we need for our our uh, men's team. Right, right, exactly. I agree. And then, um, and lastly, from uh, today, obviously, not not not. An American, but North American on a U.S. team is, you know, um, Michael Woods had a very, very impressive, and some would say long overdue, uh, you know, stage win yeah. uh, today. Our yeah. good, both our good friends from Canada. I, I like yeah, to emphasize. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and I and I think Woods has been a guy who, um, and I think maybe you had had. Uh, had said something to me about a week ago, but Woods has been a guy who who you're you're saying, what what's wrong with this guy? Like he never he's never like he can't seem to come up with the win. Um, and I think today showed. I and I I've always felt like like since he kind of burst on the scene with um, the uh, the rally team, or I I guess he he rode pre rally. But uh, but 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 you're like wow this guy's got a lot of talent, and I think that this this could be a turning point too, and maybe it's a turning point within the team. Um, you know, EF, I I don't know they they um, they seem to put their eggs in the wrong basket. And again, I like Oran, uh, he's a good rider, but it's like okay, well he went to the tour, and now we're going to the Vuelta, and we're going to support him again, and he's he's already kind of. 
um, you, you know, fallen further and further behind. Uh, and I think sometimes they, they maybe need to go to a race and say, you know what, we got a couple guys, well, let's just put it on them um, yeah. and see what happens. Right, right, exactly. So that's, and, he, and talking about worlds, I mean, I would say Woods definitely can, 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 uh, can be top 10 and, you know, who even, even top five in worlds. If, if, yeah. You know, the cards, cards go right. Although as being a, as a Canadian, he probably will have even less support as far as teammates go than, than, than the, uh, than the U S teams. I don't know how many, yeah. I know the U S only qualify four riders. I, I think for up. the men, the women are pretty stacked. Oh, the women, yeah. Um, uh, but 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 the men's team, we, we, which I think is good. I think that's that's. Um, I don't know if it's always been that way, but but I do think it's good because I I think it 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 should, uh, it should be balanced. Okay, if the women are 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 competing at a very high level, and I think that we've yeah. got a like a stellar women's team, um, they they should have more riders, and I think that that is of great benefit to them because now. You know, we're talking about the men. I, I think that uh, it's definitely uh, possible that we'll get a podium. You know, I feel like we've got a women's team that, that could do that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt about that. Um, all right. So, so, so world, you know, world championships are coming up. We've, we've got the Vuelta. Uh, you, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on, on the Vuelta because I want to – you know, maybe start speculating about worlds, but the vault is here, and we're really down to the number of riders that are going to win. Um, who who are you thinking at this point? I mean, at this point, it would it would be pretty hard to bet against you know against Yates. Uh, he's he's uh, you know he's he's well, looked pretty strong. Uh, yeah, you know what? Unless you're Velo's Andrew Hood. He's he's saying, are we preparing to see another Yates collapse or or, right. or something like that? But uh, I just, I just don't. I mean, obviously, you know that that's on a lot of people's minds. But I think the Vuelta for for Yates has been a lot easier. Not that it's an easy race, but it's been easier than um, than the Giro was. The Giro because the Giro he had Chris Froome and Tom Dumoulin hanging over his head. And he was, you know, very worried about how much time, legitimately so, how much time they were going to be able to take out, out of him yeah. in the time trial. So he had to go and attack every mountain stage and um, burn a lot of matches. And obviously what turned out to be burned too many matches. Uh, you know, here, there, you know, he's, as far as climbers go, he's on par. If he's not the best climber, he's certainly on par with everyone. And there's no dominant time trialist, you know, so he really hasn't had to go out and worry and waste a lot of energy. So, you know, of course, some people will say, well, history repeats itself, but, you know, I don't think he's been on the ropes that much where, you know, he's kind of running on fumes now. Yeah. Of course, anything could happen, but I mean, I, I think it would be pretty, you know, and Valverde is, is less than 30, you know, whatever, 25 seconds behind him. So 25 seconds, you know, one, you know, one, Forgetting to eat the gel at the wrong time, you know, he could lose 25 seconds. Yeah. But, there, but there's been nothing to indicate so far that Valverde's going to get those 25 seconds from him. Yeah, so, and well, well, you mentioned there's not a dominant time trial, so there's not a dominant climber either. That's um, right, exactly, right. It, right. It, you're, you're just not seeing um, anything there, and you're, and you're also, 
if you're looking at, at Yates and I, and, and I have been reading some of the stories and, and they're trying to draw comparisons to the Giro. Um, I try to look more at kind of the, you know, the physiology side of things. And, and uh, I, I just, like, like you said, he hasn't burned the matches. I, I'm not seeing what I saw at the Giro. Like you saw him lose some, some time today, but it wasn't, um, you know, he looked in trouble or anything like that. It's, it's just one of those things, you know, it's a steep climb. You, you lose seven seconds. Um, I'm thinking it's, it's uh, you know, for me, in my opinion, um, it's more likely that if Valverde's going to win, he's going to, he's, it's, it's going to be something tactical. Um, particularly if it's uh, a, a, a descent or something. Um, he's going to have to pull out something uh, that is not going to be purely physical. I just, I don't know, I just don't see Valverde um, being able to just drop Yates and, and get the 25 seconds. But I think race-wise, it's those two guys. I mean, for yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm going to bet on Yates, but but I think it's those two guys because I don't see Yates losing a minute and a half to these other guys who, who well, I mean, let's just go down to to uh, fifth place. Okay, I think that that's your best case scenario. Nairo has has once again done the Nairo collapse. Um, and then everybody else is four minutes back. Yeah. So... It, it's it's definitely going to be interesting, but I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a lot of watching too. Um, so if Valverde is going to win, he's he's uh, he's either got to hope that Yates does have a really bad day, or uh, he's got to may, maybe pull a Nibali and I, I don't I don't know do something some some crazy. And I I haven't really looked ahead at the last uh, couple hard stages. What what do the last stages look like? I don't, I, I haven't looked at them either that much. I just know that there's supposed to be two more, I believe two more like seriously legitimate hard climbing stages. I believe, uh, is it tomorrow and tomorrow and Friday, Thursday and Friday, or is it Friday and Saturday? Not, no, it's not, not tomorrow. I believe it's Friday and Saturday. Um, yeah. So be yeah. Two more really hard stages. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of pretty much down to the wire. Two, but two stages, you know, 25 seconds, you can, you know, it's not that much. Um, so he's got to hang on for two more stages. Um, the only other thing they, you know, possibly that some people are speculating about is, you know, if they do some kind of long-range attack with Nairo and force time at the chase, and Valverde sits on, you know, I don't, you know but you've got to imagine that, that Yates is, 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 is aware of that as well. So it would have to be something really extraordinary for them to pull something like that off. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got. Uh, it looks like Friday we've got the Endora stage, um, and that's that's that that's it really. It's you know the stage goes and and uh, it it finishes um, in Endora, but uh, w- one climb. I just don't you know I don't see. Um, I don't see really any any major loss of time. Um, again, I think that 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 for Valverde, um, it, it's I, I think he lacks that tactical stage. So he he is going to have to come up with something. Now now you mentioned Nairo going on the attack. I I, I, don't, I don't know. You, you you know for all of our criticism of Team Sky, 
Um, I just don't see Movistar being able to to uh, enact a uh, you know kind kind of like a gambit, like like Froome did at the Giro. Like I, it, it seems like they they either lack the firepower or they lack the tactical savviness or you know something. You know Valverde is a guy who's re- really good in one day races, so maybe may, maybe he can come up with a one day yeah, Valverde. Well. Right, um, right. Uh, uh, kind of race strategy. Um, right. So, go one, ahead. Other, one other one other name I wanted to mention that really you don't see talked about a lot, but um, you know we might be seeing the emergence of kind of a new another new. You know, there's a lot of young new names coming up in the GC world. Um, but this Enric Mas, that yeah. uh, Spanish rider on Quickstep, that's kind of quietly moves himself up into third place. Yeah. Uh, so if he can hold on to that, of course, it's a big if, uh, but if he, but you know, not out of the question because he's in third place right now. Um, if he can hold on to that and finish on the podium. That would be, you know, the emergence of yet another new fresh faced, you know, GC player, which would be pretty fantastic and exciting. Yeah. And it, it'll be, uh, you know, another big result um, for, the quick step team that could presumably fold this year. Right. Right. Um, you know, I mean, they, they, they just picked up the tour of Britain, dominated the classics, uh, had, had a solid tour to France. Um, and now they're looking at a podium in the vault and, and, and it's, it's been really quiet on the quick step front. So I'm, I'm taking that to mean that, uh, you know, they've got something. In the works, yeah. but certainly it wouldn't hurt. But if you know, if you finish on the podium in the Volta and you have got a ton of results and you can't come up with a title sponsor, um, I can't think of a more critical issue in the sport of cycling. Um, just to mention that, because again, you you you've got the super talented rider. Um, who, oh yeah, who, yeah. You know, <laughs> who knows where he'll be next year? Maybe he'll be riding for rally. <laughs> <laughs> the way things are going. Um, all right, so so you know we'll see uh, how the Volta wraps up. Um, you know before we take off for the night. Uh, you know real quick, what what are you thinking for World Championships before the Volta wraps up? Because we're we're going to come back at this. Um, who who are you looking at? Because there look like a lot of guys, a lot of guys that we always talk about how hard the world's course is um this year um but you know the world championships being a single day race uh you know i remember the 1989 worlds going way way back to when lamon won uh sean kelly was there at the end um you know and i and i can think of a number of other races where you've got guys that aren't necessarily climbers that are still there so so right. uh you know who are you thinking for worlds or do you, do you think there's too many I mean, there's, there's a lot of names, you know, just to throw out there. But I think that talking about the Tour of Britain, Julian Alphalete, yeah, uh, definitely, a, 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 you know, I, I put him on my short list. Um, also, Van Avermont, only he he had good form, although he couldn't close the deal at the both, can, yeah. you know, the the two Canadian races. Um, but we saw that he at the Olympics in, in uh, Rio that he can somehow turn himself inside out and climb well, probably a lot better than, than you know, um, the other classic sprinter types. Yeah. So if he's there at the end with a select group of climbers, 
you know, he has the kick to, to, to win. Um, so I would say people that aren't at the Vuelta, I would say I would name those two, Van Aramont and, uh, and Al Philippe. Then guys that, that are at the Vuelta, Valverde, I mean, it would be hard to look past Valverde, let me tell you that. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to say Michael Woods. I'm going to put him in the list, list of favorites, actually. Um, you know, got, he's got a huge boost of confidence. He has, you know, he got second early age. So he, he's the kind of rider that, you know, sh- on paper should, should, should be able to, to uh, you know, to, to put him in a, as a favorite with, along with Valverde and, and, and uh, Alaphilippe and guys like that that have a lot, of, a lot more pedigree than him is, is, is a, is a lot, you know, is, is, is taking a huge gamble. But I, you know. I, I, I definitely think, there. yeah, I think Woods is, um, you know, he's he's probably the dark horse. Yeah, I think I mean, that, the problem with Woods is like you, like we talked about before, he won't have enough bottle carriers like the Belgians or the Spanish. Yeah, you know, Van Avermont will have you know tons of support. Alphilippe will have tons of support. Valverde, you know, will have tons of support. For Woods, it might really be a problem of just. Literally having enough water to drink, you know, who's who's going to bring it to him after 200k? So that yeah, and and I think that 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 is uh, you you know we often again go going back to the Tour de France and Sky and we 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 lament oh you know that there the you know the sport has changed so much. I think the World Championships are another really good example of how the sport has changed. Um, you, You know, going back to that 1989 World Championships. Um, you, you just don't see the ability of a Greg LeMond to be able to overcome the shortcomings of the team or, or, or hell, Stephen Roche. I mean, Perfect. Ireland, we, you, you know, I think uh, the year that Roche won, they had, um, you, you know, might have been Martin Early and uh, Sean Kelly uh, to support him. That you, you just don't see the ability, uh, I, or, or I'd say very limited ability for riders to be able to do that nowadays, to have no team support uh, and, and pull out a win. But Woods can follow wheels, and right. I could see this scenario where he just follows wheels all day. He's there, and he does kind of like the attack he did today. Um, you know, he, he attacks, and, and he gets a gap. And, right, right. and we know that that works at the world championships that, that, you know, you can be just enough, um, to get out there. So it'll be interesting. Although to, to, to play devil's advocate today, um, he had Simon Clark in the break with him, not, you know, not at the very end, but during the whole, you know, three, four hours there in the break, Simon Clark was a huge help, you know, yeah having him cover the moves and stuff like that, where Woods could just be relaxed and know he, he just saves it for the last two, three K and Simon Clark does all the rest of the work all, all day long, closing, you know, closing the gaps. So, um, uh, not to say that Woods couldn't win without Simon Clark, but I think, you know, he did have a huge help today. Um, uh, whereas, you know, I don't know if the Canadian team has a Simon Clark type of run. Well, maybe, well, maybe come Worlds, he'll have Simon Clark, <laughs> or some other yeah, trade yeah. team. Right, yeah, right. In in those situations, uh, you know, particularly if you're if you're riding for a country who who you know you know well, you know my rider, he's he's not got the best chance. Um, if I'm in a situation where I can help out, 
a teammate. Right, that's Cause, true. Yeah, yeah. Because going into the next season, all right, you're riding on a team uh, that has the world champion. Um, so that that means a lot. We we can never discount trade teams at the worlds. All right. Well, uh, anything else ha- uh, happening on the training front? I know I mentioned to you already. My 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 training has just been uh, total crap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how how is your training? How's your training? Uh, well, <laughs> well, it's been rainy here for the last uh, five days. I think it is. So I actually rode the trainer today, which is I don't like doing in September. Um, but it's yeah. So that that hasn't helped, and also I've kind of been a little bit busy with. Uh, with family stuff. So it's, it's been kind of a little bit spotty the last 10 days or so. Um, I have a couple races yet on the calendar, but I don't know. I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to do them or not because the training has been a little bit spotty. So we'll see if I can kind of, at the end of September, the, in the beginning of October, there are a couple, still a couple of road races that I would like to do, but, uh, I'll have to see, do like a little short little test, see where, see where my numbers are, see if it's worth for me to, to jump into those racers or not. Cause yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't been that, that good the last, I would say, you know, 10 days to two weeks. Yeah. Just time wise and stuff. Yeah. 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 Myself included. And I'm, um, yeah, you know, it's all, it's always this time of year. That's tough. But like last year I had a shoulder injury and so I ended up in rehab for, for months on end. And I'm, I'm looking at going back to PT for a, just a nagging hamstring thing so oh boy. um it's just it's not like it it's uh it's one of those things where i can't do anything but it's it's nagging and it's right. bugging me um and i'm 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 thinking you know i i, I don't want to dump a bunch more money on pt uh but at my age it seems like that's, that's what keeps me going <laughs> um but i'd like to do some running races and i'm and 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 the original goal that I had is beginning of December, so it's it's possible. But I think I gotta you know I gotta sort some stuff out. I got plenty of time, um, so I'm not too worried. But but re- really, I'm just trying to get to maybe October, November, and start thinking about the next season. Um, right. I am going to be speaking. I've I've got a uh, uh, the National Strength and Conditioning Association personal trainers conferences in Baltimore. So I'm going to be speaking at that, uh, talking to Xterra. Uh, so I've been working on that presentation and kind of been putting it together. And I, I was pretty lucky. Uh, uh, Josiah Middaw, who's former world champion um, and like, I don't know, like 18 time Xterra U- U.S. champion. Um, you know, I said, hey, man, can you can you take a look at this? You, you know, tell me what you think. Uh, so he's going to take a look at it for my Oh, cool. My, uh, yeah, yeah, my presentation. It's all—it's always good, and, and re- really, I want to say, like, okay, you know, you are a world champion. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm telling these people who don't know anything about the sport, um, what I—I want to make sure that I deliver the message right, you know. And I'm not afraid to ask for you—you you know, help because um, it's a unique opportunity to to deliver it. So that's what I'm up to. Yeah. Do you um, have any, uh... Uh, some kind of a st- Xterra clinic coming up in the fall? No, you know oh, okay. I've tried to do some clinics and and what and whatnot, and really for a lot of that stuff the interest falls off. So I am working on some ideas for that though, and uh, I I would like to put together uh, at least one other clinic uh, next year, and then you, you know we we we've already discussed it, but you know maybe talking about. 
um, you, you know, putting on a clinic next year as well. Uh, and definitely a sports science symposium. So I'm not going to talk anything about that because I've got some guests in mind, but trying to link up with the university and, and, and do a, a uh, in my opinion, a good sports science symposium where we bring some, some pretty cool guests in. So it'll be, oh. um, if I can get the planning off the ground. So. Yeah, yeah. But once again, uh, hey, man, thanks for kind of, you know, teaming up here. And uh, sure. really enjoyed this podcast tonight. Uh, I, I, you know, I think everybody will too. And for all listeners, that is a wrap on another One More Mile podcast. If you like the podcast, please support us by writing a review on iTunes. Uh, those reviews really do matter. They, again, get us up the ranking, but they also show people that, hey, people like the show, so we can get some, some more funding. Um, if you just want to help us out, you can go over and donate. Go to www.go1mm.com. Hit the donate button. You can donate there. Every donation helps. You know, we've got podcasting fees and whatnot. So those help. Uh, and every donation and every email that we receive gets entered into our monthly Rudy Project drawing. And September will be closing pretty soon. Uh, so you want to do that. Speaking of email, uh, you can email us at go1moremile at gmail.com. Let's go one more mile at gmail. Remember, always go one more mile. Hey folks, that was Reunion by Treadmill Track Star. If you like the music on this podcast, head on over to www.treadmilltrackstar.com where you can find all the great music that the band has produced over the years and even buy it. Thanks.